to the markets. Dateline Chicago, Friday, June 21st, the first day of summer 2019. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson, with you for our weekly get-together to look at what happened and why in the markets this week. We take you from the Wall Street picture to the feedlots and the grain fields of the Midwest. And it's kind of an intro. oh, and we are going to uh, have an interview with market guest Brian Basting of Advanced Trading, headquartered in Bloomington, Illinois. But uh, I begin today by repeating the headline on my Reuters computer describing today's activity on Wall Street. The headline, Bang Up Week on Wall Street, ends with a whimper. And indeed, it did. We had a couple of record-setting days for the S&P 500, but today we saw the market pretty much turn lower. So let's look at the numbers first of all, then we'll check some of the reasons. Dow Industrial Average down 27 points, ending the day and the week at 26,725. The NASDAQ closed down 20 points, ending the week at 8,031. And the S&P 500, the record setter this week twice, ended down three and a half points. And the close today was 2,950. For the week, the S&P rose two and a quarter points. The Dow added nearly two and a half points, and the Nasdaq gained a little over three points. Quite a week indeed on Wall Street, and it did have a lot of investors and traders talking. So some of the reasons. Wall Street edged lower today as Vice President Mike Pence decision to defer a speech on China policy increased optimism on upcoming trade talks between Washington and Beijing. And the S&P 500 briefly hit a record high for the second day in a row. But the Pence talk that uh, was called off today uh, of a planned China speech that had been cast initially as a sequel to a blistering broadside he delivered in October, a move aimed at averting increasing tensions with Beijing, according to a White House official. Uh, The top for investors next week will be President Trump and Chinese President Xi Jinping, expected to restart trade talks at the Group of 20 summit in Japan on June 28 and 29. One analyst said people will be focusing on what happens at the G20 with Presidents Trump and Xi. Stocks logged a third straight week of gains, posting their worst monthly performance this year in May on fears the prolonged trade war would hit global economic growth. The president said today that he aborted a military strike on Iran in response to Tehran's downing of a U.S. drone, but the possibility of a U.S. retaliation pushed crude prices higher and helped lift the energy sector. 
The tech-heavy Nasdaq weighed down today by more than a 2% fall in PayPal holdings. This coming after the digital payments company said its chief operating officer, Bill Reddy, would be stepping down. During today's session, CarMax up a little over 3% to a record high after the used vehicles retailer posted quarterly results above analyst expectations. Carnival Corporation fell for a second day, down 4.5% today, and among the biggest decliners. And reflecting quadruple witching, as investors unwind interests in futures and options contracts prior to expiration, volume on the U.S. exchanges today hit 8.6 billion shares, compared with the 7 billion share average for the full session over the last 20 trading days. And uh, couldn't uh, end this report without looking at oil prices. Oil futures up about 1% today, with U.S. crude up 10%, and global benchmark Brent gaining 5% on the week. Concerns the United States could attack Iran and disrupt flows from the Middle East, which provides more than one-fifth of the world's oil output. U.S. gasoline futures, meanwhile, up 4% following a massive fire at Philadelphia Energy Solutions Refinery in Philadelphia. That's the largest one on the East Coast. So oil showing quite an increase today. Brent crude up 75 cents, ending the week at $65.20. Crude oil U.S. ended the session up 36 cents, $57.43 a barrel. Brent notching a gain of about 5% for the week. That's its first weekly gain in five weeks. But U.S. crude jumped about 10%, its biggest weekly percentage gain since December of 2016. But let's look a little more at that massive fire at the largest East Coast refinery today. It could disrupt the region's gasoline supplies for at least two weeks, sending prices higher. The fire shut a section of the Philadelphia Energy Solutions refinery. That refinery processes 190,000 barrels per day and the accident could draw investigations that would delay a full restart of the refinery, according to traders and analysts. The East Coast accounts for 37% of the total U.S. gasoline demand, and summer, of course, is crucial for refineries as prices rise and Americans drive more. Now, we'll look ahead to next week. Well, On the U.S. economic calendar, the Commerce Department is scheduled to report economy expanded at 3.2% in its third reading of the first quarter GDP growth. Consumer spending rose four-tenths of a percent in May, following a three-tenths percent growth in the month before, and the Commerce Department is likely to report that on Friday. 
In addition to that, the University of Michigan's preliminary consumer sentiment index for June likely to show a reading of 98 even. And on Tuesday, data likely to show new home sales rose 2.2% to an annual rate of 680,000 units in May. Separately, the conference board expected to report consumer confidence fell to a reading of 131.1, and that would be down from 134.1 in May. Initial jobless claims for the week ended June 22nd, scheduled to be released on Thursday. Analysts say is likely to have risen to 220,000. Oh, and there will be uh, company reports. Nike expected to report an increase in fourth quarter sales Thursday as it gains a boost in its home market from new product launches and women's apparel. FedEx Corporation expected to post a decline in fourth quarter profit hurt by higher costs and trade uncertainty between the U.S. and China. Tuesday, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo arrives in New Delhi, kicking off his week-long Indo-Pacific trip, and he will also accompany President Trump to Japan for a summit of the group of 20 major economies in Osaka. The number two U.S. home builder, Leonard Corporation, expected to report higher second quarter profit, helped by an easing in mortgage rates, which is fueling demand for homes. Walgreens Boot Alliance expected to report a lower third quarter profit on Thursday after what it has already called its most difficult quarter in April. Chipmaker Micron Technology expected to post a decline in third quarter revenue on Tuesday as the semiconductor industry comes under continued pressure due to slowing demand. And a couple of food companies will be reporting next week. General Mills expected to post an increase in fourth quarter sales helped by demand for its Blue Buffalo Pet products. ConAgra Brands expected to post a rise in fourth quarter revenue on Thursday, boosted by rising demand for its frozen and snacks products. Constellation Brands likely to report lackluster first quarter results on Friday, hurt by poor weather and the lack of innovation in its beer portfolio. And then finally, on Wednesday, software provider BlackBerry expected to report a first quarter loss compared with a year ago profit due to a rise in costs. So that says we'll have enough to watch. But of course, most of the attention next week will be focused on Japan, Osaka, and the G20 meeting. Well, the markets... We're going to join Max Armstrong and his guest, Brian Basting, to talk about 
what's happening in the agricultural trade when we continue on the markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. From the offices of Advanced Trading, Bloomington, Illinois, Brian Basting sitting here in the studio with us as we watch the continued mess out in the fields. And so many of the farmers that we talk to have a story of their own about flooded fields, inability to get into fields, fields that have been planted and they look just terrible, fields that might have good-looking corn in them if this were mid-May instead of mid-June. We're not seeing uh, a rampant response in the market yet. In fact, we've seen some setbacks along the way here. How would you characterize what you're watching? It's really historic in many respects, Max. I think we're looking at some some divergence also. I, I would echo everything that you just said in terms of the challenges, particularly across Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, uh, parts of Wisconsin, Missouri. However, I think if we go out west, there is some good corn out west. For example, Nebraska seems to be, in general, in very good shape thus far. Minnesota is doing fairly well so far. Um, So I think the combination of the carryover stocks, the cushion, if you will, that we have from this old crop year that we're wrapping up now, and some, some indication of at least some respectable corn in contrast to 2012, for example, where nearly all corn was bad, is holding the market back just a little bit. You know, if we didn't hear so many producers talking about this problem, we could easily say, well, it's limited in scope. It's just a small region. It's just a few growers involved. This one, though, the the magnitude of the geography is striking. And uh, so many good operators telling you, you know what, we've got a we've got a colossal problem here. And it's not just them looking out their kitchen window and saying this. They've clearly inspected fields and talked with a lot of growers around them. Yeah, it's it's definitely a comprehensive uh, type of wetness, uh, historic wetness over the last year. It started a year ago and it's continued all through the last 13 months. You look at the numbers. So this is something that has been brewing for a while. The pattern is stuck, if you will. And we've seen it uh, really impact the eastern belt the worst. But, but moving west, even Illinois, as I mentioned, some of those states have struggled, too, and, and producers are realizing it is not a localized situation. The market will respond for two or three days. We'll see an upward move in corn, and then we plateau, maybe back off a little bit. Is it partly because big fund traders don't know how to trade this kind of weather scenario? I don't mean to, to fault them and say they don't, uh, don't have the knowledge, but no one has the experience of seeing this kind of a crop being handled by a market. Yeah, that's a real good point. We, we've seen markets deal with droughts before, obviously, most recently in 2012, but a widespread flood. The big question now the market is looking at beyond acreage is yield. How much of a yield drag or yield penalty will we see due to this late planting, due to this soggy fields, due to the shallow root system? No one really has their arms around that. We are looking at a still fairly cool weather forecast. And in the weeks ahead, the longer range weather forecasters seem to indicate that we still have moisture coming along and that there will not be any 
uh, intense heat to speak of. Crops generally generally do pretty well in cool weather, but this this may be a little different scenario. A real good point. I've talked to some really highly respected crop production specialists who say we need warmer temperatures now. We don't need heat. We don't need 95 degrees, but we need mid to upper 80s to get this crop going. I, I really respect that because the crop is so far behind, as you mentioned earlier. That race to maturity, uh, we've seen many seasons where people will wring their hands a little bit and they'll say, well, doggone it, uh, you know, there could be an early frost, and it never has panned out to be anything significant, with the exception of 1974. Mm-hmm. We've had spotty frost every now and then that may cause a problem in a particular very limited region. This, though, has the prospect for being widespread and and uh, really cutting us season short. I hear what you're saying, and I, occur, I, I concur with that, Max. I think this year could be really dicey in some situations because the producers planted as late as we've ever seen, and initially the crop is being slowed down by the cool temperatures. So we're already in the first uh, days of summer here, and this crop looks like the end of April or early May. So I realize that producers have switched to shorter season varieties. However, we can't dismiss frost this year, frost freeze this year, as you highlighted. I think that's another variable the market's going to be watching. You're too young to remember 1974. I do remember that. I, remember that. <laughs> I was in college, and I remember, I, remember I remember that early frost because I was dispatched with the radio station to do an interview with Earl Butts, who was then the United States Secretary of Agriculture, and he was visiting Purdue that weekend. I think he was watching his nephew, Dave, Play in a game. Dave, who uh, later became a pro football player for the St. Louis Football Cardinals and then the Washington Redskins. Uh, He was Earl Butts' nephew. But I remember sitting down with Earl and doing an interview at that time. And we were right in the midst of big grain sales with the old Soviet Union. And that really helped light the fire, having a crop that was going to be cut significantly short by that untimely frost. And it strikes me we may have even more acreage at risk this year. By that uh, time frame, that would have been about, I think, the first or second week of September of 1974. Yeah, it was shortly after Labor Day. Have you done Day. any research looking I back have, at that? I have looked back at it, and, and it was shortly after Labor Day, and it was widespread, and it was impactful. And I think you raise a good point, I think, with the, the volume or the widespread nature of this year's delayed planting. It isn't just one state. It isn't just two states. It's, it's a number of states. But that really raises the risk this year, too. Ten bushels is what the World Egg Outlook Board shaved off of their assumption. I always call it an assumption. I, I know it's based on some knowledge that they have, but, uh, you know, as they look at the, the trend line and, and everything. But they, but they took ten bushels fairly early here. What does that suggest to you that they might do in their next summary? Can we draw any conclusions from that? I think that the uh, going forward, the market's going to be looking at that as a benchmark that will be adjusted going forward, depending on conditions. And I think this will be the true test in 2019 for, for things like items like genetics. Are genetics enough to overcome the nature, mother nature, if you will, of, of getting crop planted late? Uh, the days are going to get shorter here all of a sudden, and all of a sudden you realize that the growing degree units are going to be so far behind. Can we overcome that this year? So I think that was a, a good start, a good place that the, that the USDA started at. I don't think they'll tweak it much in July. I think they'll tweak the acreage, of course, in July. But then the August WASD report, supply demand report, will be important. I think they may resurvey some of these states that they were surveying. They just finished surveying for the acreage report for that August report. I think what we're uh, working with producers on now is to make sure the producers um, 
get their arms around a particularly old crop. The, the sense that we've gotten during the winter and spring of 2019 is that there is a considerable amount of old crop corn. We're encouraging producers to get control of those old crop bushels so they can turn their focus now entirely to new crop and perhaps all the way out to 2020. Perhaps 2020. Perhaps. I think Watch for that opportunity. Perhaps. I, every year is different, so we just got to take it one day at a time. We can't get too far ahead of ourselves. But I think getting control of these old crop bushels by either making a sale and buying a call option or getting a put option beneath, beneath those bushels allows a producer to zero in on 2019. And as I said, perhaps then move forward to 2020 at some point. Could it be said that this kind of a rally, I guess we can call it a rally, could it be said that this is maybe even a little healthier than than one that, that gyrates all over the place? I know you said you guys like to see volatility because it provides opportunity, but I, I had a guy tell me, you know, I kind of like to see, I think it's a healthier market when you see kind of a gradual climb. I, I don't know if you would agree with that or not. I do agree with that. I think that the, if there's such a thing as a constructive type of, of weather rally, I would I would characterize this. It's not the limit up, lock limit up every day that, that unfortunately we, we, we see, unfortunately from the standpoint of associated with a drought. But this is a rally that's building in lower acreage and it's building in reduced yield and also building in some uncertainty about the magnitude of both those. And I think if there is such a thing as constructive, it, it is now, but uh, it's something that producers really want to stay on top of. We've been holding on to hope for many, many weeks here that there would be some kind of trade progress, significant progress, a breakthrough, if you will, with the Chinese uh, relative to uh, what our leaders are working on. If we get that, that really does help light the fire a bit, doesn't it? Combined with this weather scenario. It certainly does, and particularly in this context, the export market is, is quite fragile right now, particularly for corn. As we speak here today, we're looking at record harvests being made of corn in Argentina and Brazil, and Ukraine from last year's record harvest continues to aggressively export. So our export market, notably for corn right now, is anemic. It's very, very, very poor. And so any type of jolt, if you will, or any type of input from a trade agreement would certainly be welcome. And the problem with soybeans has been creating a bit of a problem for corn, hasn't it? Hasn't that at least been a psychological uh, factor, maybe weighing down the corn market a bit? It has. I think any type of, of trade issues is, is, is searched across, is basically reached across all the commodities, um, whether it be um, the Mexico-Canada-U.S. agreement or, of course, China, particularly with regards to soybeans. So. Um, as those issues hopefully at some point are resolved, I think it, it could give at least a, a little bit of underpinning to the market because we certainly need it because the competition of this year, particularly in corn, looks like it's unprecedented in the export market. We always welcome your visits. Thank you. Always good to be with you, Max. Brian Basting, Advance Trading. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. More news from the world of agriculture, the most basic industry in the United States and the world, providing food and housing and now fuel from the farms and ranches of the United States and the world. Today, this afternoon, we did get a cattle on feed report for June 
And the report showed a total inventory of 11.7 million head for the U.S. on the 1st of June. That's an increase of 1.6%, slightly above average expectations. Most of the industry analysts were predicting a year-over-year increase in feedlot inventories of 1.3%. And, as usual, Texas, Nebraska, and Kansas lead the way in total fed cattle numbers, accounting for just under 7.7 million head, or approximately 65% of the total on-feed inventory in the country. And the biggest gains in today's report happened in Idaho with a 16% gain, and then also in Kansas with a gain of... 12%. Iowa showed a decline of 8%. And uh, Minnesota, a decline of 10%. Uh, Texas showed an increase of 5%. And Oklahoma, pretty much unchanged from the last report. So uh, we'll see what the market does with that come Monday morning. A big day on the Mississippi River today. The Coast Guard announced that the upper Mississippi River reopened to barge traffic today as vessels were cleared to ship through St. Louis Harbor. But the situation quickly became a logistics nightmare as dozens of towboats and hundreds of delayed barges tried to maneuver upriver. And after what many grain shippers have called the worst river flooding ever in terms of timing, breadth, and duration, the vessels may finally be able to reach elevators in the heart of the U.S. farm belt to haul away export-bound corn and soybeans. The economic pain of this year's floods, of course, has been heavy on farmers, but also on grain traders and barge operators like Archer Daniels, Midland, Bungie, and Cargill. Because the Mississippi River transports 60% of all export-bound corn and soybeans from the United States through the terminals in the Gulf Coast. And the river has not been fully navigable since November because of winter closures in the north and widespread flooding this spring. Shippers have moved some grain to port by rail, shipped it to domestic users by truck, or simply left crops in storage. And shipping delays were the latest hit to a reeling agricultural sector already hit by trade situations and also by the uh, uh, rains and the wet weather that we've had this spring. But at least the Mississippi is open. The other thing I have to talk about is African swine fever. More cases reported this week in southwest China, reported new outbreaks of African swine fever in two villages, and that's resulted in more pigs being slaughtered to keep the spread of the disease from uh, continuing. And we probably don't realize the impact of this pork situation on consumers around the world. Asian nations scrambling to contain the 
contagious African swine fever. Vietnam calling 2.6 million pigs. China reporting 1 million dead, but everybody says it's greater than that in China. Smaller outbreaks have been reported in Hong Kong, Taiwan, North Korea, Cambodia, and Mongolia after cases were first reported in China's northeast section way back in August. And a veterinarian in the City University of Hong Kong said, this is the largest animal disease outbreak in history. We've never had anything like it. And so let's hope that we're able to keep it out of the United States because it would be a deadly situation here for the swine industry. Swine markets at uh, the futures markets at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange reacted to the whole situation with disappointment. We were down the $3 daily limit today on some of the contracts. That's because China did not buy as much pork to import as the shippers and producers thought they would. So uh, the market uh, paid the toll on that today. New information available in the ongoing investigation into the alleged animal abuse at Fair Oaks Farm in Indiana. Witnesses this week confirmed that Animal Recovery Mission employees coerced their co-workers to perform the acts so they could be recorded for the video. And uh, according to Newton County Prosecuting Attorney Jeff Drinsky, a third-party witness has come forward to corroborate the allegations made by a suspect that the ARM employee, that's the animal rights group, encouraged or coerced the behavior depicted in the portion of the video that has been released to the public. Uh, First story you get on these events, not always the final story. So uh, where did we end this week in uh, the marketplace? Well, today we ended with grain prices moving lower and uh, soybeans and corn coming down. And uh, taking a look at the close on those prices for the day, wheat was down at half a cent. Corn was down six and a half, soybeans down 12 cents. And as I said, in livestock trade at the Mercantile Exchange, cattle and hogs traded lower with the two nearby hog contracts down the $3 daily limit. So it's another interesting week ahead, and we'll be back here a week from now to tell you as much as we can find out about it. Thank you for joining us, Max Armstrong, yours truly, Orion Samuelson, on the markets.